The desire to be connected with the cosmos reflects a profound reality. We are connected, not in the trivial ways that pseudoscience promise, but in the deepest ways. Our little planet is under the influence of a star. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. The sun warms us, it drives the weather, it sustains all living things. Four billion years ago, it brought forth life on Earth. What do you think about them onions? Not a bad place to start. The mighty Carl Sagan. So anyway, Jamie, I woke up this morning. Feeling fine. Feeling fine. And then I opened up my news feed. And uh, the breaking news, uh, which this is a story by Lauren Grush at uh, The Verge, the Trump administration is preparing to end support for the ISS in 2025. Oh. Oh. Yeah, Michael Fole will be not very happy about this one at all. Well, he did call it, didn't he? He did call it, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is, this, is, this is bad. Obviously, they need the money to get to the moon, mm. to build, you know, SLS and Orion and all, all that kind of... How much money is it? Well, it's been costing 3 to $4 billion each year to run the ISS. And so far, it's on $87 billion. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Well, you say that, but... Compared to I mean, it know, is a lot weapons. <laughs> Compared to say something like the F thirty five fighter jet, it's mm. probably nothing. And yeah. and like if you consider how important it is to world peace, for example, you know this is Americans, Russians, Japanese, uh, Europeans all working together on an international effort. That's true. It it, can't it say means that so much. much more. No, you can't, can you? And and it's like. It's an international space station that, that brings harmony to the world. And commercial space just won't be ready to take it over in 2025. Well, let's just say, I mean, so it's 2018, Matt. Mm-hmm. Trump's got, what, three more years left, and then he's definitely mm-hmm. gone, let's hope. And then hopefully someone will just say, you know, oh, I'll give you money. Once those kind of wheels are in motion, you're kind of doomed. Yeah, but it says uh, they'll end support by 2025. But if they start taking out money before, then we're in trouble. No, I, mean, I don't think they will, because that's, that's already got extended by Obama to mm. 2024. But if you can't take it out, it means that once that's finished, you, you also can't put money in. You know, these are decisions mm. that are made well ahead of time. You know, this is how SpaceX have been getting their money to develop their launch vehicles. This is how small satellite operators have been launching their CubeSats. This is how uh, old Bigelow's been, or Bigelow's been testing his inflatable space habitats. Do you think that they'll look for outside investment? They want commercial space companies to take it over. Mm. But most of them are saying, look, we're we're not going to be ready. There's no way that there's uh, the financial case for it just yet. Mm. But they reckon by 2028 they will be. So if only they just could find the money for that extra three years, maybe. Well, here's hoping. Let's get on to some more uh, more exciting news. Yes. The static test fire on the Falcon Heavy was conducted on Wednesday, January the 24th. And how did it go? Well, they did a 10-second burn. It all seemed to go absolutely perfectly. All 27 kerosene, liquid oxygen engines uh, managed to fire up. I like and I the photo of the of the cloud it made. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's so good. Now, now, is it smoke or is it steam? 
See, this is what I was thinking. Yeah. I think I think it's uh, steam because that's what Elon Musk said. But a lot of other people d- described it as smoke. But I'm going with steam. Um, so yeah, Elon Musk then said uh, that the launch could take place in a week or so. It's not Whoa. good news for us, is it? That no, it's not. There's no. There is no way. It's not going to happen <laughs> on is it? Earth that I can. Yeah, that I'm going to be able to dodge out of work. Uh, ne- there's always next so time. Annoying. We'll there will face, be no we'll next time. We'll have to time. FaceTime our. Our good podcast yeah, friends, that's true. won't we? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, well, we might be able to find a roving reporter who will do it for us. That would be good. I have a, I have a plan. Yeah. But an, uh, on a, in other good news for SpaceX and Elon Musk, drink. 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 Uh, the Air Force have mm. backed up uh, Falcon 9 after the Zuma incident and Lieutenant General or oh. Lieutenant General John Thompson said, based on the data available our team did not identify any information that would change spacex's falcon 9 certification status boom got it basically saying we believe in elon well who doesn't slightly depressing news i suppose uh is the google lunar x prize competition ended without a winner oh so our mate bob richards never did get go on to claim the 20 million pound x prize oh because basically, no one is going to reach the thir- March the thirty first deadline, uh, and the the problem is that they've been extending that deadline over and over and over and over again to the point where it's become a bit of a joke. Well, Google so, can uh, put it towards it's, their it's tax bill now. That's fine. Yeah, so that that's great as long as it yeah as long as they put that times about twenty <laughs> into the British <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> British should be tax de- system. De- done. Oh my god! Don't talk to me about tax bills. I was, oh. I was oh no. I I, uh, I had a bit of a shock with my tax return this time Ouch. around. <laughs> I'm so I'm so unhappy. <laughs> I hope you're putting but, a third uh, away. Yeah, so yeah, uh, no, Jamie, don't be ridiculous. Oh. Five million dollars has already gone out of the Lunar X Prize, though. Okay, so it did some good, and of course, you know, there's all these teams that are doing stuff, and all and some of the the teams that like Team Indus and and, and teams like that, I believe, are going to be making exciting announcements in the next few weeks about ah. what they are going to do with all this development. So it should be interesting to watch that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, Matt. Please, no, 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 absolutely, and I think it'll be really, really exciting. Um, of course, Bob Bob Richards was going to fly up on an on a, an electron on the Rocket Lab electron. That's right. Now, w- as we heard last week, they managed that New Zealand have finally managed to join uh, countries that have launched a orbital vehicle. Oh, so yes. uh, yeah, Rocket Lab obviously uh, managed to uh, launch and uh, get a few satellites into orbit, three commercial satellites. But what they didn't tell us is that they had a massive disco ball on board. What? <laughs> so, yeah, Peter t- Peter Beck, the CEO of Rocket Lab, yeah, he announced yesterday that he had this thing on board called the Humanity Star, which is this massive disco ball. I mean, you could not describe it in any other way party than a disco time. ball. And it is party time. So, basically, if you look up in the night sky, you go to their website and you see when it's when it's passing over, and there'll be this big flashing satellite, and, the, and it's supposedly the brightest star in the night sky uh, flying over is that why they did it uh yeah so it says our hope is that everyone looking at the humanity star will look past it to the vast expanse of the universe and think differently about their lives actions and what is important for humanity now what do you what do you really think about this because 
there's a little bit of me that that goes, hang on a second. If if the very first thing that commercial space does is start sticking up these kind of, I, I, for want of a better word, art projects, or yeah. is it a, is or is it a commercial kind of advertising? I just don't really know what it is, and I'm thinking mm. if. If if we all if if everyone just goes up in, in a free for all of sticking up things like this into space, is, is that such a great idea? I can't work it out. I can't. Uh, I mean, I there's know. a little bit of me that goes, oh, you know, you know, this, that's that's really cool. It will get people looking up into the sky. But what about the poor astrophotographers who are trying to take a picture of the, you know, M thirty seven, and then in flies this massive dazzling disco ball? Yeah, I'd like to know how intense it is. Yeah, well, I, I, I would imagine thing. I can't imagine it being as bright as the International Space Station, no. for example. And 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 what's really, I mean, isn't there enough satellites twinkling up in the night sky for yeah. people to look up up at and go, oh look? And there was a really funny thing of of people saying, oh, people are familiar with iridium flares, uh, but are less uh, less familiar with the cosmos. It's like what exactly what uh yeah. section of, of of the human race are familiar with iridium flares but not the cosmos yeah exactly yeah that <laughs> seems very very unlikely so very I, i'm not sure i mean i really like i really like the chutz of it and i like the kind of um i like the artiness of it and i do yeah. get the the sentiment but i'm not sure this is what what, and, and the fact that it was a secret payload seems a bit weird. Mm. It's like I better not tell anyone about this because there might be some objections. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't seem doesn't seem great to me. But. Yeah, it seems a bit soon as well. It's kind of like like what, let's wait till we've got to Mars before we start showing off with art in the sky, shall we? Do you know what? It really reminds me of a book by Rudy Rucker. Um, I think it's the Singularity, and it, they send off these nanobots that eat Mars mm. and use all the material to create massive adverts in the night sky. Oh, really? And and then these nanobots go wrong or are programmed by a, a malevolent force and come back down to Earth and eat the Earth. Oh. And the main protagonist sa- saves the Earth by teaching his autistic son uh, this massive long piece of code to remember so that when he gets eaten, that massive long piece of code gets back in and reverses the entire process so that the Earth is rebuilt and the Mars is rebuilt as it was when the nanobots arrived. I like the sound of that. <laughs> and, and everyone is saved. It's pretty crazy. but What's it called? That, it, I think it's called Singularity or Post-Singularity. Maybe Post-Singularity. It's uh, Rudy Rucker books are amazing. But Rocket Lab also did something else. They had uh, a kick stage on board still testing, uh-huh. which is still testing is the name of the rocket, by the way. It, it worked perfectly and launched all these CubeSats as well. So that was a pretty cool... See, Matt, that's, that's very, pretty... very clever calling your rocket still or your satellite still testing, isn't it? Because if yeah. it blows up, you can <laughs> go, go, well, still testing. you know, I'm still testing. Names in the names in the title. Considering how successful that rocket was, we can't really call it still testing. It's like it's actually doing stuff. Now it has to be called tested. So the Rutherford engine is what is what works the electron, and the Curie engine is what works these this new kick stage. I love a good Curie. Yes. So anyway, <laughs> uh, first Ariane flight of the year is this week. 
Uh-huh. And uh, and our and our friend Julio is going to be there, isn't he? He oh, did say yes, he's, he is. so he's gone off, and we'll be we'll we'll be having a little chat with him, maybe persuade him to talk about this flight I hope when so. we when we meet him on Monday. But it's it's I, I mentioned gold last week, didn't I? Uh, did. Which is flying up on the SES fourteen, and uh-huh. I was right to say that I thought it was a bit unusual to, for NASA to have something on on, a, on another satellite, and it is indeed the the, the first ever. Um, NASA science mission to fly on a commercially hosted payload. So this Whoa. SES-14 commercial communication satellite is hosting this GOLD. And GOLD stands for the Global Scale Observations of the Limb and Disc. And what it, is, what it does is it looks at that kind of place where uh, the, the upper atmosphere meets space t- to try and understand how that area of uh, the atmosphere works, the magnetic fields and and the boundary of Earth's atmosphere and space, the charged particles, the ionosphere, and all that stuff. So it's very, wow. very important. Spandau Ballet had no idea that it would come to this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. I know it's Good. early, Matt, but you've got to keep up with me. I'm like razor sharp. Gold. Always believe in the ionosphere. <laughs> it's imperceptible. That would have been a totally different 80s pop song, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. It'd be pretty good. Would be. <laughs> uh, we, we should maybe now include gold in our playlist. I think maybe we should. <laughs> Thanks yeah. very much, everyone, for sending oh, in yeah. your suggestions. We got some really, really, really brilliant ones. What a playlist. And actually really, really interesting to listen to because obviously every song is so different. Yeah, there's almost a hundred songs on it now. Really? Yeah. Jeez. I, I, still, my favourite one still is Shatner's version of Rocket Man. Oh, <laughs> it is amazing. It's it's absolutely genius. Does anyone sound cooler when talking than him? Good old Canada. That I, I'm going to say that William Shatner is Canada's greatest export. There we go. <laughs> Wait, what? More than Ryan Adams, the Groover from Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard that before. The Groover yeah. fam. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, that's that is that is genius. In fact, I'm going with that. My first rock and roll gig, Matt, ever at Wembley. Brian Adams. Crypto funding in space. Crypto funding in space. So there's a there a new company called Spacebit. Did I mention this last week? I think I did. Not sure. Uh, and I a crowdfunding platform launching at the World Economic Forum in Davos. And it's all about using uh, technologies like the blockchain uh, and cryptocurrency okay. to uh, create a new form of crowdfunding so that everyone can be involved in launching satellites and financing groundbreaking platforms for like lunar missions and things like that. So that's really exciting. And I'm trying at the moment, I'm, I'm in touch with the uh, Pavlo the founder of Spacebit, to try and uh, uh, wangle an interview to sort of get the lowdown on it. But it looks really, really interesting. You know, a, a completely publicly funded space program, essentially. That is cool. Yeah, so that's uh, go to their website, uh, spacebit.com, I believe. I'm all for it. That's well worth checking out. I've also been following Apollo 5 50th anniversary. All this oh, yeah. week has been the Apollo 5 50th anniversary of that mission. And uh, at Apollo underscore 50th is a really good tweet to follow because, of course, it's, it out. It, it, it's been basically been doing it in real time. So it's been like living that mission for the first time for me. I like it. Yeah, it's cool. 
uh, Tim Peake's uh, capsule, so the capsule that was at the Science Museum, if mm. you're living in York or near York, then get yourself down to the Railway Musician. Uh, musician. Railway Museum <laughs> <laughs> to see the Soyuz capsule there. So oh, that's yes, really cool for people up that. in the north of England. Go yes. Definitely go see it because it is absolutely incredible. And it is amazing. It, and you think, oh, my God, they stuffed three people into that small ball and then chucked them through the Earth's atmosphere. Just incredible. Atmospheres, Jamie. Atmospheres. That's yes. what you wanted to talk about, I wasn't really, it? I, I want to learn about atmospheres, Matt. And you're not wrong because I, I think atmospheres are a very, very important thing to know about because yes. there's so many aspects to it. Right. Everyone get your pen and pencil out. There will right. be a test. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, so atmosphere, atmos, meaning vapour, and sphere, meaning sphere. <laughs> yes. It's that <laughs> so, uh, it's Greek. It's Greek, literally, for vapour sphere. There's a layer of gra- gas surrounding a planet, of course, or any material body. Uh-huh. Yes, and it's held in place by gravity normally. Uh, in fact, always, I would imagine. I can't think of any other... Uh, way that it could be held in place. Um, do you know what the uh, atmosphere is made of on Earth? Um, no, I don't know. It's 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and then the next most common gas is argon, which always surprises me. Uh-huh. And, and carbon dioxide and, all the other, and some other gases are all in trace amounts. Okay. Which makes you realise how sensitive the world's atmosphere is to carbon really dioxide. Is. Yeah. It's so sensitive to it. 0.04%. And, and the Earth's atmosphere, of course, is the byproduct of billions of years of biochemical modification mm. by living organisms. That's why it's important, and we'll get onto this in, in a little bit later. But So evolution, Matt, creates atmosphere. It does. Life creates atmosphere or atmospheres of a certain type. And that's what we're going to be looking for in the next 100 years with giant telescopes like the James Webb telescope or yeah. these massive ground telescopes and see if we can get information on exoplanets about whether uh, we can see stuff. And there's been some interesting papers this week, actually, that have been um, in, the, in the newspapers. But we'll get onto that in a second. I just, I just wanted to actually cover the kind of important aspects of atmosphere that make planets habitable or not habitable. For example, atmospheric pressure. Ah. So atmospheric pressure is really caused by the weight of the gas that's above you. So Mm. obviously we've got, you're standing on Earth, but you've got this column of gas that goes all the way up to outer space, as we were talking about before. Yes. And uh, and that column of gas is, is like, literally has a, a pressure on you which is about 101 kilopascals or f- almost 15 pounds per square inch uh so that's you know and that's known as an atmosphere the standard atmosphere and that's internationally recognized as a unit um got it uh, and as you go up through the atmosphere it diminishes uh the pressure diminishes uh, and declines by a factor of e Euler's number, and I love anything, any equation that has Euler's number in it, because it's oh, a magical. You do, do you? It's, 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 I do, I do. It's a magical number, more magical, some would say, than pi. Wow. There's the atmospheric escape, and this is this is how atmospheres are lost to space. So you can imagine something like helium, for example, on Earth yeah. is lost to space because the atmosphere is hot enough to give helium atoms the speed 
to uh, achieve uh, escape velocity. So they're just not held to Earth by their by gravity because they're just moving too fast. Atmospheres changes changes depending on the heat that's in uh, in the atmosphere and the gravity that's holding it down. So there's a kind of mixture of those two things. So. Mm. Uh, but there's other mechanisms that can cause atmospheric depletion, and that's the solar wind can strip the atmosphere away, which of course is what's been okay. happening to Mars, because Mars isn't protected by uh, a magnetosphere or a magnetosphere. Yes, uh, and that that effect, I believe, is called sputtering. It's a good word. Yeah, and impact erosions, uh, weathering, uh-huh. sequestration. Uh, which is sometimes known as freezing out. Uh, yeah. And so that's atmosphere that's being absorbed back into the kind of bedrock, uh, which, of course, is what we're trying to do with carbon dioxide at power plants. See, this is all really interesting because it makes you think that, you know, obviously global warming is, you know, a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But how bad is it for the atmosphere, Matt? The global warming is the atmosphere. It is mm. the fact that we're releasing these tiny amounts of carbon dioxide, even though it's in of its course. tons, of course. Uh, and that is what is creating this problem. And what, what's amazing is, well, the one thing that's, that all astronauts say is when they look out of the ISS is just how thin this onion skin of atmosphere around this giant blue uh, ball is yeah. you know and you think yeah this it's really fragile and life just would not be possible without the atmosphere you know and you know it, it's <laughs> it's incredible how much the atmosphere affects life on earth it affects the terrain even so do you think matt the fact that people on earth can't see it they just don't think about it that much um, i think if we could see it and every time we did something naughty, that it would put a big hole in it that we could see, I think would be better. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit, that's a bit like the having a spike on your steering wheel instead of a seatbelt would make Very everyone true. drive more carefully. Very true. I mean, is this what we need, people? Huh? Mm, yeah, yeah. Do I we don't, need a projected yeah. image of our damage? Don't make me do it. well i mean i think that's that that's the reason why we need things like the iss because they give us this bird's eye view of the world and it and it and it's that simple thing of looking out of a window and seeing the earth for what it is the pale blue dot etc yeah which i think is unbelievably important uh and that's why we should be very deeply disturbed by the iss not being around perhaps agreed um Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the atmosphere affects terrains as well. So one of the reasons why the Earth is so smooth and the moon looks so pitted and massive craters everywhere is because mm. the atmosphere, of course, uh, allows uh, the, the smoothing of the planet's surface. The wind itself will smooth out the surface. But not only that, liquids can't exist on the surface of a, of a planet without there being an atmosphere. So okay. Titan has liquids at the surface because it's got this thick methane atmosphere on it. Mm. Uh, so it, it, any any planet that has uh, more of an atmosphere is more likely to have liquid on the surface as long as it's in the, in the right, you know, has the right temperatures. Uh, and, you know, that's why Mars doesn't have liquid on its surface because it doesn't really have a, a big enough atmosphere anymore because it's mm. been stripped away. So... Uh, again atmosphere is very important the atmosphere also transports heat around the planet so you see Mm. uh the heat being transferred from like uh, regions 
of, of heat like in the tropics and then back up to the, the the poles places like jupiter of course have got their own internal heat source so convection causes these enormous storms up in the surface that make the jupiter look so pretty that circulation is really important it might be really uber important on planets that are tidily locked to their star so let let me ask you this matt so mars for instance has a lot of frozen water on it correct well, yeah, under underneath the underneath the surface, yeah, there's these frozen sheets of water. Yeah. Right, so it wouldn't ever be that their atmosphere has got thinner over the years because of that. There, there was definitely water on the surface of Mars, almost certainly. You know, we see these riverbeds and everything, so Mars yeah. would have looked completely different. But that's when it had an atmosphere when when before the solar wind had stripped it of its atmosphere. So it would have had a thicker atmosphere. Yeah, it would have had a th- thicker atmosphere, probably similar to Earth's. Uh, and Interesting. Yeah, so it, it, so it's it's its atmosphere that really makes the difference between it being an Earth-like uh, habitable planet or a dead rock. Which so is- if we if we keep ruining our atmosphere, Matt, then we could end up a bit more rocky than we are. Well, or we could go the other way and end up more Venusy. So oh, Venus God. has got a thicker atmosphere, and the atmosphere is so thick that on the on the ground you get crushed because the uh, weight of the atmosphere on top of you is just ridiculous and so it just crushes you and the heat is unbearable because the runaway um runaway greenhouse effect because there's so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere uh, because it doesn't have life on the planet there's no, there's no oxygen getting into the atmosphere to, to displace the carbon uh, di- uh carbon dioxide uh, and so, yeah, it's it's horrific. So, yeah, you, what you don't want is too Jeez. thicker atmosphere or too thinner atmosphere. It's it's back to the whole Goldilocks. It's not just the Goldilocks zone in terms of where you are with your star. It's the Goldilocks zone in terms of how thick or thin your atmosphere is as well. Matt, when you said Venus is thick, did you did you mean T H I C C? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what else would I have meant? <laughs> well, I find that fascinating because that can tell so much, can't it, about what the history is, what potentially can survive there, right? Oh, no, absolutely. And there's not... Uh, we've, we obviously know about the atmospheres of a lot of the uh, bodies in our own solar system. Mm. So Venus and Mars, are, uh, like we said, are primarily composed of carbon dioxide atmospheres with small quantities of nitrogen, oxygen, oxygen and things like that. Two satellites of the outer planets um, uh-huh. have significant atmospheres. So Titan yeah. and Triton have atmospheres mainly of nitrogen. Uh, and Pluto has an atmosphere of nitrogen and methane, similar to Triton's. Ah, okay. Uh, uh, but the gases are frozen when it's furthest away from the sun. So it has this kind of frozen atmosphere. Jeez. Um, yeah, so but there are other bodies in the solar system that have extremely thin atmospheres. Uh, and essentially, they don't. Re- you can't really consider them atmospheres. Like very, very trace amounts of gas just above the surface. So even the moon has this very, very uh, faint gas, sodium gas mainly. Same with Mercury. Uh, Europa has a very, very thin oxygen atmosphere. And Enceladus, of course, has a nice water vapour atmosphere. Okay. The first exoplanet whose atmospheric com- composition was determined is HD 209458b. Rolls off the tongue. It does, doesn't it? And that's a gas giant. So, so far, we've only really uh, been able to look at 
these enormous gas giants that are very, very close to their parent stars, mm. um, uh, mainly because of the way that we discover exoplanets and the fact that obviously they're the easiest ones to spot because they're quite big compared to, yes. the, to the disk of the star. Um, so there's two ways of measuring atmospheres of exoplanets. First is the transmission photometry, mm. and that's the, the spectral light that passes through a planet's atmosphere as it transits in front of its star. Yeah. So, yeah, the light of the star goes through the planet's atmosphere and changes uh, the spectral, uh, these spectral lines that appear, emission lines within the spectrum of light that shows that the light is being absorbed by some chemical ah, as it goes through. Okay. And so you can, you, you can spot various uh, compounds. Uh, the second way that you can measure a planet's atmosphere uh, is by Differencing the star plus planet light obtained during most of the planet's orbit with the light of just the star during the secondary eclipse. So you measure the difference between the two. Right. So, um, yeah, you can either do it directly or by uh, uh, taking one away from the other. But it's all done with, yeah, essentially emission lines uh, in, in the spectrum of light. Okay. Such, a, such a great discovery that, that, that yeah, that that light contains all this fantastic information. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine how many laws of the universe have been determined by that one very simple thing. So in October, 2013, there was the first detection of clouds in an, in an exoplanet. And that was on Kepler seven B. And in December, 2013, the atmospheres of GJ436b and GJ1214b. And then there was an atmosphere confirmed around Gliese1132b. And that's the most. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which means that they're the first planet uh, by the star. It is the most Earth like exoplanet to date that is known to have an atmosphere. So Gliese1132 is looking like a, a good candidate to maybe put a lot more effort in ah okay Mm. i'm Uh, loving this matt i'm literally making notes uh uh yeah so in 2008 water carbon monoxide carbon dioxide and methane were detected in the atmosphere of hd 189733b uh-huh and water's been detected in quite a few of uh in in 2013 2014 uh, lots of different atmospheres have been detected on various um, water detected in atmospheres on various exoplanets. Uh, in July 2014, NASA announced finding very dry atmospheres on three exoplanets. God, it's mad, isn't it? It is absolutely incredible. Uh, in 2015, NASA reported that WASP-33b has a stratosphere. Shut the front door. And in February 2016, NASA Hubble Space Telescope detected hydrogen and helium and suggestions of hydrogen cyanide, but no water vapour, in the atmosphere of 55 Cancer IE, the first time the atmosphere of a super-Earth exoplanet was analysed successfully. My Lord. Now we so many facts coming out my face. Yeah, we should talk about uh, uh, rain or precipitation on yes, these please. exoplanets. So, normally, obviously, we're used to precipitation in the form of rain or snow. 
Yes. <laughs> but depending on the atmospheric temperature, pressure and composition and altitude, you can have absolutely ludicrous forms of precipitation. What are we talking? So some hot atmospheres could have iron rain. No. <laughs> yeah, iron rain. That's Which, so metal. It's literally is, heavy metal. Yeah, that literally heavy metal. Judas Priest would love to live <laughs> on a planet with iron rain. When Sabbath wrote their first single, it was raining iron. Oh, man. It was raining iron on some exoplanet somewhere. You can also have molten glass rain. Whoa. You can also have rocky rain from you know minerals like instatite and corundum and wollastonite. Yeah. But some, and this is my favourite, some atmospheres of the gas giants, it could be raining diamonds. Oh, come on. Raining diamonds. What? I, it would hurt, but you'd kind of go, right, I'm going to have to you'd go out like, and oh, collect some of this. <laughs> but, you'd wear one of those like upside down umbrella hats, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, it'd have to be pretty strong. Imagine diamonds coming down on a very, very... Well, I mean, they'd be going so fast, wouldn't they, as well? On like a, Imagine yeah. Ju- Jupiter having diamond rain. That's insane. It's absolutely incredible. And, and one of my favourites is rain that is neon dissolved in helium rain. This is crazy <laughs> talk. Now, one thing uh, that obviously is an indication for life is if there's oxygen in the atmosphere, that's if it's biological life in the, in the sense that we know it. But, it's, uh, but oxygen can be caused by other geological uh, processes. So it's yes. not necessarily a, uh, uh, something that you can rely on. However, mm. a new study that has been making the press is this idea that you can have this atmospheric disequilibrium. It's uh, a good word. Uh, yes, that could show life on planets or as being almost certain. So the co-author, the co-author of this paper, David Catling, he said, we need to look for fairly abundant methane and carbon dioxide on a world that has liquid water at its surface, but find an absence of carbon monoxide. Our study shows that this combination would be a compelling sign of life. What's exciting is that our suggestion is doable and may lead to historic discovery of an extraterrestrial biosphere in the not-too-distant future. How freaking exciting is that? That's incredible. That's incredible. But remember, life's ability to make large amounts of oxygen has only occurred in the past one-eighth of Earth's history. Just going to get my calculator out. Four billion divided... No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this, so this disequilibrium is potentially a detectable biosignature for Earth-like exoplanets. God, that is... My mind's blown again, Matt. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? So That is. So th- this paper does give a very, very good, um, almost biosignature for these new Uber these new uber telescopes to try and look for you know something like the james webb telescope could yeah. be looking at the atmospheres of trappist uh, star system that we've the trappist one star system and see mm. if any of those planets have actually got biological systems going proxima. on we can well, look proxima, yeah, to proxima yeah yeah exactly yeah proxima c it, it, that could very very well turn out to be 
I imagine it. I mean, it just would be the most mind blowing piece of news if if it was like, yeah, the atmosphere is exactly this mix. Yeah, and uh, it you know the nearest exoplanet there can be. If that had life on it, that would be just incredible, wouldn't it? But what's really in, uh, weirdly in the press, there's been another one of these papers, panspermia style papers. Um, yes. Uh, very much like the uh, one that we had from Robert Zubrin. Uh, yes. And uh, th- th- there has been some more of those uh, papers coming out um, that dust, that space dust can actually uh, travel around the solar system and into other star systems. So there is a mechanism for for organic life perhaps to be spread across the entire once it gets started somewhere it could get spread across the entire galaxy matt uh, i keep telling i keep telling you it's not just science fiction yeah yeah i know i mean i bought my book on panspermia i'm not gonna i'm not gonna brag but this was about 10 years ago can everyone keep up please oh to be honest my dad was going on about span panspermia when i was a little boy really yeah Your dad wins he does, doesn't he? I'm, I'm pretty certain it was from a Carl Sagan book, and I can't remember oh, which okay. one it was. Sagan wins. Sagan wins <laughs> again. <laughs> so uh, there was a, a thing about there was on on NASA talking of, of atmospheres. NASA did actually um, uh, release uh, a, a story this week that they th- that dust storms on Mars are linked to gas escape. So, okay. uh, yeah, so hydrogen gas is lost to space because of this seasonal dust storm. So uh, the, the dust storms themselves may be affecting Mars atmosphere. So atmospheres are extremely complicated and they are uh, complex, dynamic aren't? kind of things on these planets. These atmospheres are always being replenished somehow by geological processes like volcanoes and stuff like that. God, it's just, I just love this. I can't wait to listen back to this so I can actually understand it a bit more. I'm loving it, Matt. We'll finish with a, with a moon space fact on atmospheres. But there's a couple of news stories I forgot to, uh, I forgot to say. What's been going on? Your yeah. favourite, Scott Tingle. Oh, yes. ST, what's he been up to? <laughs> he became the 222nd human to perform an extravehicular activity oh, or an EVA. Work, Tingle. On Tuesday... And he went out with Mark van der Heij uh, uh, on a on a spacewalk that lasted seven hours and twenty four minutes, which isn't too, but which isn't at all bad for two men in their fifties. <laughs> one from the army, one from the navy, apparently. Uh, and they've been fixing the Canadarm two. They've been literally putting a new hand on it. That's awesome. And uh, and I believe there's another spacewalk uh, soon with Kanai to go and fix the other part. The other hand, you know your life's good when you get to go on a spacewalk, don't you? Oh man! And they, uh, uh, well, uh, they did an epic job—seven hours and twenty-four minutes in God a spacesuit. Damn. I bet their fingers are absolutely red raw. Yes. So well done, Tingle and Van der Congratulations, Hei. guys! Yes, brilliant. Uh, also, a little sad one. Uh, NASA oh. is going to honour its fallen heroes this year to mark the fifth. 15th anniversary of the Columbia accident. Oh. So 15 years ago, of course, Columbia uh, was uh, destroyed when it was re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. And uh, NASA paid tribute to everyone lost in all uh, space accidents trying to further uh, 
mankind's exploration of space. Absolutely. Incredible. So who's going to be speaking at the event? Well, that's today. Uh, it's the annual day of remembrance and it's today. Oh. Uh, and the speakers will include Eileen Collins, of course, a former space shuttle astronaut, Eileen Collins, yes. and Tal Ramon, who is the son of Elon Ramon, who we have had as one of our astronauts of the week, who died, of course, in the uh, Columbia accident. Wow. Who is Israel's well, that's going to be emotional. First An amazing. space man. Yes. Ultimate respect for those fallen soldiers. These are the people that have been giving their lives to forge off into the universe and will, you know, will be, be forever mem- remembered. Incredible stuff. Um, uh, space fact then, Jamie. Space You want me to hit you with one? Fact. Go. All right, Matt. For most practical purposes, the moon is considered to be surrounded by vacuum. The average daytime abundances of the elements known to be present in the lunar atmosphere in atoms per cubic centimetre are as follows. Argon, 20,000 to 100,000. Helium, 5,000 to 30,000. Neon, up to 20,000. Sodium, 70. Potassium, 17. Hydrogen, fewer than 17. <laughs> no, let me stop. So these are atoms <laughs> per cubic centimetre. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty thin, isn't it? It's just ridiculous. So this yields approximately 80,000 total atoms per cubic centimetre. While this greatly exceeds the density of the solar wind, which is usually on the order of just a few protons per (laughs) cubic centimetre, it's virtually a vacuum in comparison with the atmosphere of the Earth. The moon may also have a tenuous atmosphere of electrostatically levitated dust. Think about that. That sounds like a lot, isn't it? But, uh, you know... I'm sure it's not, yeah. Well, yeah, atoms are quite small, aren't they? They're quite small. They are quite small. Yeah. Like, really small. Wow. Do you want to to hear my favourite fact about the ear? Go on, then. The ear is so sensitive that it can hear a sound that only moves the eardrum by one-eighth of the diameter of a hydrogen atom. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, Matt, don't talk to me about... Don't talk to me about eardrums. Listeners, my, my my tinnitus that's been happening for about two months now is it's really bad. So if anyone knows what to do, can you just let me know, please? Ooh. It's driving me mad. It's because you've been going to all these gigs thinking that, you know, that you're all young and rock and roll. It's finally, finally caught up with me. What can I do, people? Please, please let me know. <laughs> so as, oh, our, dear. As, our, as, our, as our patrons over at Patreon know, we've got a very special guest uh, being interviewed this week, like unbelievably special. Um, really? Oh, yeah. cool. Oh, well, well let's, let's wait till the programme comes out. Let's it's gonna wait. Be, let's wait. Let's um, wait. So, it's a good one, guys. So, <laughs> so obviously, uh, uh, patrons, if you're out there, read your email uh, and send me some questions if you like to ask some questions. We've had one in, which yes. was, what was his favourite space tug? <laughs> space tug? <laughs> oh, are we allowed to say that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he was quizzing that could whether, be our first, first quiz, and last question. It, whether it was going to be the Breeze M or not. So uh, that's amazing, which it should be, of course. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. So we, 
Hey Matt, if I'm not if I'm not a patron and I'm intrigued about how to become one, how do I do it? You just head over to patreon.com forward slash interplanetary and just see us there. Or just go to our website and press the uh, uh, Patreon button. That's www.interplanetary.org.uk. Very important you put UK there. Org.uk. It's not .com. Yes, please. Just couldn't afford that one. Um, so, yeah. It'd be <laughs> but maybe <laughs> so, with your help. Maybe with your help. So, one day, but the one we thing can get I, a .com. Yeah. And thanks to everyone that have been leaving reviews yeah, thanks, on guys. iTunes. Amazing. And, 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 and especially to all the people that have been coming to Patreon and, and, and doing that. I, I swear we will read out a big list of Patreon uh, users. And, we and, will and, absolutely do uh, that. Matt, we'll have do we that got next the best week? listeners in the world? We have got the best listeners in the world. Hi, guys. Just throw Hello. <laughs> They're the best. And... We, I've had some brilliant tweets this week. There have been some awesome ones. And thank you very much. It's just so much fun. So, yeah, we'll we'll read you all out because next week we're going to have a, a, possibly our best ever episode because we're flying out. Be... We, we are flying out to Cologne to the astronaut. We are. Center. We're flying out to Cologne for you. And, yeah, and actually, we, we, we <laughs> without the help of the Patreon thing, that would have probably been impossible, So, particularly after my tax return. So uh, that's really, really fantastic. So it's, gonna, it's already paying dividends, but it's going it to really be our best ever episode. There's a lot of pressure on us, Matt, isn't there? Yeah, there, there is now? a lot of pressure. I think we can do it. Space Podcats, tune in next week. Tune in. Until then, Sagan Bless. You have been listening to the Interplanetary Podcast. Stay safe underneath our thin atmosphere. Oh, we should note we should note that our thin atmosphere does protect us from micrometeorites as well. That's something yeah. like on the moon. If you're on the moon, because there's no atmosphere, these little tiny micrometeorites that are hitting the hitting the Earth all the time, they they get they burn up. And even big meteorites burn up in the atmosphere but on the mm. moon they just go whacking into the surface so if you're standing on the surface and a tiny and i mean tiny bit of sand or anything like that hits you at sixty thousand miles an hour that's it it's game over dead dead so thank goodness for atmospheres we need to look thank after it goodness see Please. you next week podcasts this is it's going to be awesome keep raining diamonds bye bye, bye. We'll